good evening. Good to see everybody here tonight. I'm looking out here. Oh, Jonah's waving at me. Trying to see who else is here. I didn't get a chance to come around and say hi to everybody. See you brave souls that survived that weather out there to come in. Tis the season of unpredictable weather. Looks like we got more of that to go, I'm sure, the next couple of months. Uh, They still haven't issued that crystal ball that we need in the ministry, but we always like to err on the side of caution. But I tell you, it's really good, uh, even if it's just a small group, to come in at least once together as a church on the Lord's Day to to sing praise and worship our Lord Jesus Christ and, and to hear his word. So I hope tonight will be a blessing to you. I was supposed to preach this morning, and my brother Josh was going to be preaching tonight. You were going to have sort of a buffet of uh, preachers to select from over the next couple weeks. Bobby is going to preach next Sunday morning, and Brian Garrison will be bringing the message next Sunday night. So look forward to that. Of course, I'll miss Brother Brian's. We'll be going to Guatemala, so I'll have to pick it up on CD later. Uh, but, you know, with, with all buffets, well, they say it's all you can eat. You know, you get as much as you can when you're there. And I feel like it's my obligation to try to make up for both services tonight. And I know you, I know you really want to be here, else you wouldn't be here. So uh, I'll do my best to give you a double dose. Not really, but maybe. If you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Start reading in verse 7. Whoops, I'm in 2 Timothy. Let me turn back. All right, verse 7. Paul says, I will start in the middle of the verse. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit. But godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Prescribe and teach these things. So, here on January 11th, uh, it's about 10 days past New Year's, and I got a couple questions for you. In fact, three. We'll start off with three questions. One, how many here made a New Year's resolution this year? How many will admit to making a New Year's resolution? All right, no one's brave enough to couple. Okay, Jonah raises his hand. Um, my follow-up question was going to be, how many here have already broke your resolution? You know, maybe you made it for a whole week, a whole seven days after, but now that it's the 11th, you just can't make it past that week. I saw this quote this, this week in preparation. I thought it was appropriate. It says, my New Year's resolution for 2015 is to accomplish the goals of 2014, which I should have done in 2013, because I promised them in 2012 and planned for them in 2011. Does that sound like most of you? Perhaps you're like me. Uh, I didn't even bother making a New Year's resolution this year. I just cut straight to the part where I broke it. I figured it would just save me the trouble, right? Uh, Too much hassle. This is the time of year where the gyms uh, and workout facilities are busting at the seams. It seems like an all-new attention to physical fitness comes around this time of year. Those of you who are faithful and you go to the gym all year, you you go up to your 
your normal machine at your normal time, and you find that there's a line of new faces waiting to use that machine. And, of course, physical fitness is not the only thing addressed this time of year. It could be anything from quitting smoking or drinking to saving your money more or working on a relationship, perhaps having a better relationship with your family, that sort of thing. Any number of areas that we tend to focus on this time of year. But the third question I have for you tonight is this. How many of you have made resolutions that involve your spiritual fitness this year? How many at all have thought about their spiritual fitness as this new year has has come and gone? Now, understand that these sort of resolutions, um, no matter what they are, are, are truly meaningless unless they're accompanied by perseverance. That's no... There's no uh, real value in saying you'll do something unless you follow through on it. And certainly this can be uh, made any time of the year. Any time of the year we can, we can resolve in our hearts to try better in certain areas of our life. But for some reason, New Year's tends to be a mile marker in our lives. It's just something that shows that another 12 months has passed and it, it becomes a natural time of reflection an evaluation of on what we've done the past 12 months. So, how is your spiritual fitness this month? How is it compared to last January or 10 years from now, 10 years ago? How fit are you spiritually? And the question is, are you doing any sort of spiritual exercise or training? In today's text, Paul says that bodily discipline, bodily, this physical discipline is only of little profit. Now, he doesn't say it's of no profit. Certainly, we want to keep ourselves physically fit and be good stewards of this body that God's given us. Uh, We want to be healthy, to be able to do what God's called us in many, many cases. In most cases, in fact, you do have to be physically capable of going and doing what God has called you to do, whether that's a job working at a factory or planning a church off in a third world country. Bodily discipline has some profit. However, bodily discipline is truly only for a short time. It's temporary. The Bible often illustrates this distinction between the physical and the spiritual world, the temporal and the eternal, the perishable and the imperishable, the outward compared to the inward. There's a vast distinction there. Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear to be beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. The Apostle Paul also draws this distinction in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, you are looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. However, he says that godliness, godliness is profitable for all things. And he says to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. 
Now, I hope that some of you have already resolved this in your heart, but I do want to use this opportunity tonight to uh, challenge you to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. The word discipline here in verse 7 is sometimes translated as exercise or train, as in the, the KJV and the NIV, they use those two words. The Greek word that Paul used is actually gymnazo, and it, it's interesting because this is where we get the word gymnasium from, okay, gymnazo. The Greek word means to exercise vigorously in any way, either the body or the mind. So Paul literally is saying to, to get to the gym for spiritual fitness. The concept of physical training, I think, is, is very familiar to most of us. The general concept of, of stretching and aerobic exercise, weight training, whether uh, practicing for various sport competitions, that sort of thing, commonplace. There's a large number in this church. Uh, there's a few of you as I look around tonight that are very much into running. And you know that it takes training and dedication to accomplish the task, especially if you're trying to compete. Well, Paul here uses this very same concept of exercising and training when applied to the spiritual discipline of growth and preparation. Christians are to be disciplining themselves for the purpose of godliness. And note that it says discipline yourself. None of us should expect someone else to do the work for us. Uh, It would be nice, but it just doesn't work. Any more than if my wife Kim... Uh, were to go out and train every day on my behalf, it would be nice if I could just sit in the house and, and reap the benefits, but it just doesn't work like that. We have to do it ourselves. You know, I support her, and, and I know many others have, have trained for races and that sort of thing. And uh, there's many times even now that I, I look at her and I think, man, I feel like getting off the proverbial couch and and running, and getting in shape, and, and getting this body moving, but it's clear that she can't do the work for me. And it's the same thing spiritually, okay? Same thing spiritually. God is not going to do this for you. Yes, absolutely. When it's done, it will be by his power and his provision, no doubt. He gets all the glory, all the credit. But you have to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. You have to do the things necessary to exercise and train the spirit. Just like in the physical world, of uh, we have push-ups and, and sit-ups and, and jumping jacks, wind sprints, ball drills, batting practice, that sort of thing. The same thing applies in the spirit world. There are disciplines such as Bible intake, prayer, worship, Evangelism, fasting, stewardship, all for uh, the purpose of godliness. Think of these spiritual disciplines as holy habits. They're holy habits in the process of sanctification. Uh, Something that we incorporate into our daily lives. There, There are ways to place ourselves in the path, if you will, of God's grace. All right? God is the potter. He's the master potter, and we are merely the clay. And he, he shapes us, and he molds us into whatever he wants. He takes these, these lumps of clay, and he places them on that, that spinning wheel. 
okay? And they're going around in circles, and he, he shapes, as the potter does, that, that lump of clay into a bowl, a jar, a glass, or some other type of useful vessel. However, if that lump of clay isn't placed centered on the wheel, then as it goes around, it, it will not be easily shaped. It will be off-balanced, off-centered. It will be, need to be moved to the center of the wheel in order to be worked into something useful. One way of looking at these holy habits is it's this idea, these spiritual disciplines, is to see them as a way of staying centered on God's wheel. Okay? Figuratively on God's wheel, but literally centered on God's will. Now, you already may be feeling anxious. You may be weighted down. You're thinking this idea of spiritual discipline, uh, it's a burden, something more that I have to take on, something else to weight me down, something confining. But I want you to know that, that discipline is truly the price of freedom. Freedom. Through discipline, we actually have newfound freedom. And I'll explain that in a moment. But first, look at verse 8. Paul talks of the profit gained from this discipline. Um, Verse 8 says that for bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. He says that it's profitable in the present life, the temporal life, here and now. Just like physical training has the value here and now, so does spiritual training. It's practical. Disciplining yourself for the purpose of godliness is profitable. Most importantly, it gives you the freedom to do things for God, do things for the Lord that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do without the discipline. It's freedom. Think about this connection between discipline and freedom. Without the discipline of training, we wouldn't even have the freedom to read, right? Uh, Someone comes and gives you a Bible and says, look, this is America, I mean, you have every right to own this Bible, to read it, to teach it, use it. But if we haven't gone through the discipline of learning the ABCs and learning how to put sentences together and comprehend what we're reading, then we truly do not have the freedom to read the Bible, right? Discipline is the price of freedom. Let me give you another example. Uh, Imagine a group of officials Okay, they, they show up at your door, and they have great news. Okay, you've been chosen for a great honor. All right, uh, You have been chosen to represent Valonia, our small town on a national scale. Okay, and, and this race that you'll be participating in is going to be televised. The whole world potentially will be looking at you representing our town. There'll be much publicity. There'll be potential honor for our town, and you are the guy that's representing the Valonia Eagles. There are TV crews there. There's people from the newspaper. They're taking your picture. They put on a Valonia Eagle t-shirt with your name on it. And you're so excited and honored to accept this, this challenge. Soon after, on the, the race day, you arrive and, and you proudly display the Eagle colors. And, and you feel pride and honor as you represent your little community, this little tornado-ravaged community of Valonia. And uh, the TVs are, are rolling, and they're, they're broadcasting the picture. And you enthusiastically start the race. 
which, by the way, is a marathon, okay? And you're running, you're smiling, and maybe you do pretty good. Maybe you get past mile one, two, three, maybe even get up to mile five. I don't know, okay? But something happens. Something happens uh, taking the smile off your face. Despite your enthusiasm, despite your desire and tremendous effort that you put out in the moment, you fail miserably because you haven't trained yourself. You fail to train and prepare yourself for the race. You didn't have the freedom to finish the race because you didn't first pay the price of discipline. You see the connection? It's the same thing spiritually. No matter how much desire we have, no matter how much enthusiasm or dedication and effort that we put forth in certain moments, overall we won't be effective for the Lord's work without proper training. Discipline is the price of freedom. Paul often references sports and, and running and this sort of analogy, and he, he does so again in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 where he says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So here again, Paul is drawing a distinction between the perishable and imperishable and the work, the training that we need to involve ourselves in. Yes, bodily discipline is some profit now, but spiritual discipline is profitable for this life and the life to come. It's for both. It's of eternal value. I noted the, the distinction earlier between the outward and inward fitness. And only spiritual fitness is profitable for both the here and now and the life to come. With physical exercise, ultimately, we're fighting a losing battle, right? Uh, th- these bodies are actively decaying and dying. And With physical exercise, we at best are only fighting against the inevitable. So which is better? To to look really good on the outside, but inwardly be wasting away? Or to be spiritually fit on the inside, despite whatever our outside looks like? It's temporary. Again, I'm not dismissing bodily discipline. Paul says it has some value but only spiritual discipline will last as eternal value. With spiritual discipline, you're actually hastening the day in which we are being made into the image of Christ. And that brings us to our next point. Discipline without direction is drudgery. Okay, Discipline without direction is drudgery. Now, this is actually a direct quote from Donald Whitney. And I think many of you may be familiar with him. He's a Southern Seminary professor He wrote uh, what I consider the definitive book on spiritual disciplines called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. If you have a handout with you, I've I've noted that at the bottom of your handout. If you don't, they're in the foyer uh, for you to to 
perhaps purchased this book for you. It's one of those books that you read and you reread and you reread once a year, every other year, something, because we constantly need to be reminded and sharpened. It's a very practical book as well as in theory. So discipline without direction is drudgery. Without an understanding of why, why we're training and and what we're training for, we will become discouraged. You have to know why and, and what you're training for. Because the opposite, if you don't, if you're just putting in the time, you're, you're, you're putting in the hard work day after day, it will seem like drudgery. Ultimately, it can lead to defeat. Perhaps you're thinking this right now. Think, well, why should I do all this work? Why should I discipline myself in this category? I mean, to what end? I feel pretty good about what, where I'm at. I feel pretty good about my spiritual condition and my relationship with the Lord. Well, again, let me give you another example. Okay, and I really think this will this will help draw it home. Imagine a young child uh, dutifully practicing piano each day. Okay, he he comes home and and every afternoon he's he's practicing the piano day after day. Meanwhile, he's looking out the window. He he's seeing his friends play outside, have a great time. Maybe his brother and sister over here playing a video game, and he's thinking, "Man, what am I missing out on?" Why am I doing this day after day? I'm just, I'm doing this for nothing. And, and think about this one little boy uh, somehow getting a vision. Okay, he, he's transported and somehow he sees this maestro, this, this piano player that, that's producing this wonderful, amazing music from this grand piano during a concert. All right, very large audience and they're just mesmerized by the sound that this maestro piano player is playing. So is the boy. But this little boy discovers that this is actually him as an older man. This boy is seeing a vision of what he will become perhaps 20 or 30 years from now. Okay, And it becomes very clear that the only way that his older self can perform this concert and do what he's doing and amaze the crowd is by first putting in the discipline that it takes year after year after year to get to that point. He's, he's left with this exhortation, you must practice, you must be disciplined. And then all, all of a sudden he's back. Okay, he, Now he's back, he's sitting at that same piano, kids still playing outside, video games going. But don't you think he'll have a completely different perspective now than what he did before? You see? Don't you think that he would have a, a completely different attitude before, uh, towards his practice in the moment, knowing what it will pay off with in the future. Do you think that his discipline will now have direction and that that goal will motivate him in the present? You see, the, the future gives motivation in the present. For this boy, knowing that his discipline in the present will result in the freedom to play the piano gives the necessary motivation. Again, he wouldn't have the freedom to do what that maestro did without first paying the price of discipline. The future gives motivation in the past. Well, for Christians, we must also understand what we will become. Okay? Romans 8.29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. 
So this is the direction that we're going in. This is why we do it, to grow in the image of Christ. See, we're like that boy, and, and we already know what our future looks like, that, that we will be changed, that we will be like him, conformed to the image of the Son. And that future reality should motivate us now. If it's God's purpose, purpose for me to be made in the image of Christ, then I can fight against it. I can uh, sit back and just hope it happens, or, or I can, like being in a rowboat going down a river, I can row in the same direction as the current and work with God in the process of my transformation. In other words, I can be involved in my Christian growth process. I can grow in the grace and knowledge of my Lord Jesus Christ. I can clothe myself in Christ's likeness. I can put on the full armor of God. I can study to show myself approved. I can work out my salvation with fear and trembling. I can submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I can help with God to help me become more like Jesus. He wants us to develop these holy habits in our lives so that we are involved in the process. Just like physical training, spiritual discipline does require effort. And it may not seem comfortable at first. Anytime we start a a new exercise regimen, our bodies don't like it. We get sore. Uh, Inevitably, we have sore muscles and achy backs and exhaustion and and probably the, the desire to give up. And it can be the same way with spiritual disciplines. For those uh, physically, if they persevere through that initial discomfort and train themselves, then it results in just the opposite. They're, they're equipped with stronger muscles and stronger backs. They have the physical endurance and the ability to do more than ever. Well, in verse 10, Paul says that, for it is this that we labor and strive. We labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men especially of believers. Spiritual disciplines don't necessarily come natural to us. Um, It doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't labor and strive to incorporate these into our lives. In the physical world, they say that there's no pain without, uh, there's no gain without pain, right? No pain, no gain. Well, we're not, necessarily expecting pain in our physical discipline, but um, Paul does say that we will labor and strive. And why? Why do we labor and strive? Because we have our hope fixed on the living God, he says here in verse 10. It's the same way that the writer of Hebrews in, in chapter 12 says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. We fix our eyes on Jesus, and, and we, we labor and strive, yes, but like Paul says here in verse 10, it's while we have our hope and gaze fixed on Jesus Christ, God. Remember, discipline without direction is drudgery. Through Christ, we do have a direction. Now, discipline is also to be taught and applied. Look at verse 11. It simply says, prescribe and teach these things. And this is why it's so important for me to do this tonight. Um, These disciplines, they need to be taught and applied. Now, 
certainly I will only be scratching the surface. There's no way that I will begin to exhaust the subject tonight. Uh, if anything, this could be the kickoff of a multi-tiered um, sermon series on the disciplines. But I do want to give a couple of examples. Um, many of you probably, your first thoughts immediately gravitate towards reading your Bible as one of the disciplines. And it certainly is foundational. It's a must. And reading your Bible should be our daily bread, something that's a part of our daily lives, not just what they say, the occasional birthday cake, daily bread. Many New Year's resolutions have this goal in mind. Every single year, people commit to reading the Bible again. I'm going to read the Bible all the way through this year. And we do it year after year. And maybe many of you have made the same commitment. And maybe many of you are very well versed in Genesis. I mean, you, you know Genesis backwards and forwards because every year you start off, you get through Genesis, and maybe you get to Leviticus, I don't know, and, and, and stop. But the spiritual discipline of Bible intake, what we call it, is, is much more than just reading. It's also meditating on God's Word. It's memorizing God's Word. It's, it's listening to people, others read it. It's listening to people teach it and preach it. It's um, studying God's Word for understanding. All of those are considered to be a part of just that one discipline of Bible intake that's so foundational to our spiritual life. Uh, one of the other disciplines I consider foundational is prayer. And we're not necessarily talking about that quick prayer that you offer up before dinner or the, the prayer you say before you, you uh, tuck your kids at night or, or go to bed yourself. It's, it's, or even that, that desperate prayer of that, that heart that is, is crying out to our, her, our Heavenly Father for some emergent need. It's more than that. It's, it's a, a structure of prayer that includes daily doses of praise and thanksgiving and confessing our sins, and yes, supplications, asking God for his provision. It's all those things. This, too, is a spiritual discipline requiring cultivation in our life. Uh, Other disciplines we'll just briefly mention are are worship, which includes more than what we do in this place. Evangelism, fasting, stewardship of our time and resources, service. Now, some of these are already very easy to us. Maybe we just take them for granted. We don't understand that they are discipline because we've already trained ourselves over the years. We've, we've uh, become accustomed to having these incorporated into our lives. Let me give you a couple examples of some lesser-known disciplines. One would be Thanksgiving. Have you ever considered Thanksgiving to be a spiritual discipline? It's very important. I never underestimate. Never underestimate the power of thanksgiving. Very powerful. It's, it's uh, something that perhaps without giving thanks, maybe God is not showing you what's next. Maybe God is not giving you a glimpse of that future because we haven't ever stopped to give thanks for the past and the present. Thanksgiving is something that we do and and that we are also to model to other people. Believe it or not, people are watching. I mean, it's very important for us as leaders to do so, but all Christians are called to the same task of 
living a consistent testimony and being an example to others. People are watching to see if we're giving thanks for our abundant life. What about fellowship? Fellowship, uh, living in community with believers, I think is an overlooked discipline. And I, I do think it's a discipline because I feel like there are many people who experience a lack of discipline in this area. Whether it's a professing Christian that has nothing to do with the local church, won't be a part of assembly, think that they can do it on their own. Or in some cases, Christians that, that come to church every Sunday and yet they still live in isolation. They, they don't connect like we should with the body of Christ and, and become a part of that community for encouragement and accountability. They come, they go, but they don't establish those relationships that we're called to do as the body of Christ. I think that often uh, this world has a lot of distractions, and it can be very easily easy to be distracted from uh, being together with our church family. But it does take discipline to prioritize our lives and uh, let it, our lives and our weeks that add up to our lives not be filled with activity that keeps us apart from that fellowship. These are all important. Even Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, God incarnate, our, our Lord and Savior, while he was here on earth, he displayed these things in his life. He gives us the example. Have you ever thought about how Jesus incorporated and exemplified the spiritual disciplines in his life? Jesus taught and he applied them in his own life. He, he certainly displayed thanksgiving. Um, it's interesting because when John records an incident uh, in John 6, John 6, verse 23, he simply says, There came other small boats from Tiberias near the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Now, have you ever stopped to think about how simple a statement that is? But that was so important to John, that it stood out in his mind to where sometime later when he's writing this down, he makes a note that this is the place where Jesus gave thanks. Elsewhere, we see Jesus praying and, and studying word, the word, memorizing it, worshiping, fasting, fellowship, solitude, many others. Jesus is our supreme example. He's not only what we're becoming, but he shows us the way. He is the way, and his way is the only way. So discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness as he did. One of my seminary professors, Dr. Early, said that spiritual disciplines are are doing what we can do so that God can work in us to do what we cannot do. Okay, so did you hear that? Spiritual disciplines are doing what we can do so that God can work in us to do what we cannot do. Again, everything we have, everything we do comes from God. There can be no doubt about that. Whatever we accomplish, however much we grow as Christians, all the results are from the Lord and his provision. But also heard it said once that Disciplining our 
lives in this way is like positioning ourselves under the spout of God's grace. It's kind of like we said earlier about being on the center of God's will and in the center of God's will. Again, doing what we can do and God doing what we cannot do. Of course, there's many things that without the spiritual disciplines that we cannot do, period. Uh, Without disciplining ourselves and preparing ourselves and training spiritually, we will not be able to flee sin and unrighteousness. We will not be able to discern the difference between right and wrong, or more appropriately, right and almost right. We will not be able to witness to our neighbor. We won't be prepared to witness to those who need Christ. We'll not be able to take a stand as Christianity continues to be marginalized. We'll not be able to glorify God in the workplace and in schools and our family and community. And certainly we will not be able to answer the particular call of God on your life, whatever that is. So what will you do in 2015? What will you do to prepare you for whatever challenges God has coming your way. Remember, desire, motivation, devotion alone will not prepare you properly for the race. You have to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Only then will you have the freedom to live and be used by God in an amazing way. I want to remind that spiritual disciplines are not something that we measure our spirituality by. We don't measure our spiritual life by spiritual disciplines. We cannot use this as an opportunity to fuel a self-righteous attitude by how many disciplines we do and how many we have incorporated into our life compared to others. No, spiritual disciplines are more like calisthenics. They prepare us for what God has planned for us. So what does God have planned for you? What will you accomplish by God's power. What will you miss out on if you don't discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness? I don't know when Jesus is coming back. I just don't know. No one does. But I, I know one thing. We're closer than we've ever been before. Every day that there's a sunrise, we are one day closer to meeting Jesus face to face. For some of us here, Maybe sooner than that. We, we don't know how much time we have on this earth. And I know it's very easy to get caught up in the daily minutia of this world. There's a lot of distractions. The outward and the perishable things of this world demand a lot of attention. But don't be distracted. Don't take your eyes off of Jesus. Don't neglect the spiritual and eternal for the temporal trappings of this very brief life. We'll very soon stand before our Lord, and we'll have to give an account. And God's grace is sufficient, but we want to stand there as those that have served the Lord and have hastened that day, not only anticipating Christ's return, but also uh, actively pursuing Christ's likeness in our lives through the spiritual disciplines. So, church, brothers and sisters, this is the challenge. It's a a fitness challenge for you and I, both. And my hope and prayer is that you accept that challenge. 
and let's, let's do it for the honor and glory of God. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for this day. We thank you for uh, those here and their faithfulness. Uh, we just ask a blessing on each and every one here. We, we ask for a provision of grace. And may your grace be manifest in our life in such a way that uh, your power is perfected in our weakness. The flesh is weak, Lord, and, and we know that we can do nothing apart from you. And everything we do is because of you. It should be for you. Or we ask for that empowerment. We ask for that encouragement. We pray that the Holy Spirit will fill us and uh, motivate us, encourage us to the task that you set before us. Help us to be equipped. Help us to uh, discipline ourselves. Cost, uh, this should, something should cost us in discipleship. You know, it cost you greatly, Lord. It cost you your life. You sent your only son. It should cost us something. And we just want to do that to your honor and glory. We thank you for your grace. It's so desperately needed for us. And we just thank you for your provision in that category and your provision in our daily lives. We hope that we live lives of honor and glory to you. And we hope that we can share this hope and uh, the glory and the confidence that we have through Jesus Christ with those around us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.